like the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. Again, for having me. Yeah. And um, after months and months of like trying to get this sorted, I finally pulled from it. I'm going to do the first part of the Austin versus the Man rivalry. Now, a lot of people will start with WrestleMania 14 uh, when he will face your Michaels and won the championship. But I thought, let's look into how he got there. Um, and it's simple enough. Uh, this is before we had multiple championships and all that thing. And so we're going to look at the 1998 Royal Rumble match, uh, which took place on January 1898 at the San Jose Arena. Um, so there's a lot going on here. Um, I think the main story is around the event itself. It's not uh, the match. It's actually uh, Undertaker Kane because uh, they kind of they haven't fought each other yet. Um, are you quite familiar with the Kane Undertaker story at this at this point? Uh, vaguely, um, so, uh, like, as I said, there's like, I'm, I'm sure I said it last time as well, most of what I've seen from that time is just the pay-per-views. So, like, I, I wasn't catching Raw then because I didn't have the channel that broadcast at the time, so I was more of a Nitro guy, I only really caught the, you know, like, the, the B-shows on, like, Saturday morning on Sky One or whatever. Uh, was it bottom line and stuff like that? Yeah, bottom line. I think yeah, that was the main one, wasn't it? So like, like, and even then, I only started catching them. I think they had kind of come back together from the point I started watching again. Because I think the first time I saw them after I was realised, oh, I can still watch WWF, was it was when they had the handicap match with Austin. Which was, I believe, later in the year. I think it was like the summer. Um, but yeah, like the because it all stemmed from the the Paul Bearer thing, right? Yeah, pretty much. Just got a bit detail. Um, pretty much, uh, like Paul Bearer and Undertaker split about ninety six, I think. And then hmm. the year before, uh, Paul Bearer was like saying, uh, "Cause he, he was like threatening to like reveal the secret." Undertaker's like, oh, "Fuck it, just." No, just reveal it, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, and he says, oh yeah, Kane's alive, Kane's alive. Um, uh, so he basically makes his appearance. We mentioned it last episode that uh, that's how Sean Mathis uh, became the number one contender to survive in the seven because he was facing Undertaker, that's when Kane made his debut, and pretty much inadvertently helped Shawn Michaels win. Um, at this point, they've kind of um, been like working, like to get, kind of working together, bits and pieces. Um, because and obviously Undertaker stands in Shawn Michaels for the casket in the casket match in this. Um, the main reason it's that because I think for the I think this is the first or maybe second time in Royal Rumble history that the Royal Rumble match is not the main event. Um, yeah, because the first one was 
Was it 95 or 96? Yeah, I think so. I think, and I remember correctly, I think the first ever Royal Rumble was not a pay per view, but I can't remember. I mean, it was like a special event, but I can't remember if that that match was the main event. That was it, was it, I believe it was a Sid Undertaker match that went after the Rumble. Yeah, I think so. I think it's that, yeah, I think it's 96. I think that happened. So, uh, yeah, so it's a bit unusual because I'm so. Because every Royal Rumble I've watched, like, whether well, well, it's been a fan, like, during my time, it's always been the main event. It's a bit weird now. It's like, oh, what happened? Um, it's one of those, like, it's even back then, you, it's kind of a baffling decision because, like, I get the, the mentality, like, where it comes from of, oh, the main title should be the main event. I get it, but what the hells can follow a Royal Rumble, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, um, the Royal Rumble does end with a casket being set on fire, so um, hmm. I don't think you could have a Royal Rumble match after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's bigger pure, like someone dying. There's also the thing of, like, and, you know, we were talking about it last time, of, of, like, the little things, the, the little accidents yeah. that sort of went into creating the Austin-McMahon rivalry. Things like, you know, the last time the, you know, like, Austin getting the shaft out of the, like, the Royal Rumble, uh, sorry, the King of the Ring, and ended up getting it the following year. No, wait, no. Triple H getting the shaft out of it, I beg your pardon, and Austin getting it, and that ends up propelling him. And there's a thing, and it's a bit less happy circumstances, obviously, but uh, I believe that Undertaker-Michaels match was when Michaels first hurt his back, which was what basically necessitated his having to retire early, which sort of helped, uh, I believe anyway, helped cement Austin as, like, the guy. Because he didn't have, like, like, Michael's sort of, let's be honest, politic in his way to the top. Yeah, Yeah, and um, and also kind of like that that injury, um, and we're talking about probably the next part, that kind of helped Triple H because that's when he became, like, the leader of the X, and a year later he he was a main event and becomes champion. Um, so it's it, unfortunately it's the underdog thing. It's like obviously wrestling. It's a bit weird because it's. I always said wrestling would be weird because you could look like you're, you're hurting them but not actually hurt them. But yeah. obviously accidents do happen. So um, yeah, because this football do is a match where I think if I'm gonna watch it, it's, it's nothing like major. I think it just landed badly, but he carried on. But wasn't afterwards you realize how bad it was. Yeah. Um, you know the way you worded that about like. M- you know, making things look like they hurt while not actually hurting reminded me of a Mick Foley joke. Yeah. Uh, on it's on a DVD I've got like from I think like must be like late two thousand because it covers basically the end of his like full time career. Yeah. And his time as commissioner. And he, he's there's a bit because at the start he covers you know things like the Al Snow jokes and the Rock and Sock connection and stuff. Yeah. And he's talking about, and it's kind of weird looking back at it now, because again, this is a DVD that came out like 2000. And he's openly discussing selling on it. He says, you know, the actives, the way he describes it as selling is making a move look 
like it hurts more than it does to yeah. you know build drama in the match. And he says, when you get hit by a steel chair, you don't generally need to sell that much because it really does hurt. Yes. And it, it's basically an Al Snow joke that almost uh, resulted in Al being fired. And it's uh, there was a hardcore match, I believe on Raw, between Al and Hardcore Holly. And Al took a chair shot to the head, which obviously, for I think good reason, doesn't really happen now. Yeah. And it genuinely knocked him loopy, and he forgot the finish of the match. And, you know, he's like, you know, Holly's trying to pin him, and he keeps, like, kicking up and getting up and stuff. And, uh, you know, he took a bit of a ribbon in the back about it and stuff. And this was, again, when Al and Mick were, you know, they would frequently make jokes about each other during promos and stuff. The following week, Mick Foley comes out to do an in-ring interview with Jim Ross. And Jim's like, you know, oh, so how you doing, Mick? And he's like, sorry, how you doing, mankind? And he's like, well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate Al Snow on landing that endorsement deal with Lazy Boy. Which is ironic, because Al doesn't usually sell chairs. And, you know, you can see Jim trying not to crack up. And uh, as a result, Al was doing commentary on a match later that evening, and he got genuinely pissed off about that joke and spent the entire segment, like, ripping into Mick Foley and got an absolute bollocking for it. But the Al Snow doesn't usually sell chairs joke did make me get cold, and the way you worded that kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> That's good. Um, so we're to the Royal Rumble match. I the whole build-up is on Stone Cold. Um, he, obviously, he's been uh, faced for a while now. He's at, he had the rivalry with He had to take time off due to the next injury, but became uh, Intercontinental Champion. Um, hmm. He's already lost I think he's already lost it at this point. Um, yeah. So... But he said to like, he's still living my motto, don't do others, go do unto me. So he was like, a bit weird because you got to remember, this is going to be the future face of the company. But he's like, yeah. we're going to interfere in the, uh, we're going to matches of war. He's pretty much like stunning people and leaving. And yeah. fucking people up in the backstage, on the table and chairs. Um, so, but in the final segment before the event, uh, they were doing, they sometimes do it at some Royal Rumbles where they like, they kind of draw the number. Uh, hmm. or whatever. Uh, I missed that segment where they'd have the, the wee tombola in yeah, the back. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the best one's got to be with Eddie Grove and Ric Flair. Where, oh, uh, it's 2004? Flair, yeah, I think it was, yeah, where uh, Eddie Grove might like rob Ric Flair's number and Ric Flair's not happy. Guerrero! Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but pretty much at that point, Austin runs in through the crowd that, and starts like punching everyone and pretty much fucks it all up. Well, I remember, like, the other part I do miss about the old school Royal Rumbles is when they do that sort of, like, no, like a, like a collage almost of, like, different wrestlers talking about, oh, I'm going to win the Royal Rumble and stuff like that. They'd get given maybe, like, you know, 20 seconds each yeah. and it would cut through a bunch. I miss that. Especially, I think it was 1990 where, like, uh, Hercules fucked up the name of the show. He's like, I'm gonna win that Rumble Royal today. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, no. Um, yeah. So, so pretty much, Austin is not loud like at the minute because <laughs> he's just like just wrecking people and all that stuff. Um, hmm. 
So we get to the match, uh, number one and two. Oh, before that, sorry, we get to see Mike Tyson in a skybox. Mm. Uh, they do mention it, but they don't mention why yet. They mention that to the, the wall after. So we'll, yeah. uh, we'll get to that. Uh, so the first two are Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, always known as Terry Funk. They were a tag team at the time. And they decided to go hardcore almost immediately and start in the jungle with chairs. Um, number three is a guy called Tom Brandy, who I've never heard of, and I think it's probably his last appearance in WWE. Well, um, he, you might remember him under the name uh, Salvatore Sincere. Yeah, sounds familiar. Uh, not really what he's doing you here. It was like sort of, I think, about 95, yeah. 96, 97. Yeah. Uh, Salvatore Sincere was about. Okay. Yeah, because I've watched the Warrior Wombles all that time, but they're the only ones. Um, so, yeah, but it doesn't matter because you get them almost immediately. Uh, yeah, so you look at the list and it's like Cactus Jack and Terry yeah. Funk, you know, two of the reputedly, like, you know, toughest, like, most hardcore, not so wrestlers there is, and then Tom Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> um, number four is The Rock. Uh, this is before he joined the Nation of Domination. Um, Cats drop and Charlie. I've been mean, doing this thing is like the fight each other, and when someone turns up, they're like kind of fo- no, step away from that and focus on the new guy. Um, mm. So the beat up the walk and he falls up the win, but not eliminated, so keep that in mind. Uh, number five is Mosh. Uh, number six comes in for videos Godwin. And number eight is uh, number seven is Eight Ball, who is, I think, is one of the Hallis twins. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, uh, it doesn't matter, they're yeah. both eight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but unfortunately, Charlie is eliminated when he tries to eliminate Cactus Jack, and Jack just like moves out the way. Number eight is Bradshaw when he's part of the new Black Jacks. Um, hmm, when he had the big handlebar stash. Yes, uh, so there's well before the Archelais and JBL and all that stuff. Um, number nine is Owen Hart, and um, but he gets a surprise from Jeff Jarrett and John Kinnett who beat the trap out of him. And in Blood and Mind, because I remember a year after this, they're tag team partners. Mm. Um, so uh, I thought they were a good tag team together as well. Yeah, they were. Um, obviously, it ended bad. Obviously, it ended when um, obviously when Owen Hart passed away. But uh, mm. but one thing I'm going, I'm quite looking forward to because obviously I know what's happening in '99, but I'm not really know doesn't really know what happened in '98. So it'll be interesting to see how they got from rivals to friends. Yeah. Um, mm. Number ten is uh, Steve Blackman, um, and number eleven D'Lo Brown, and I think D'Lo was part of the nation at this point. Uh, uh, I think so, yeah. Yes. Um, number 12, Torrigan, who, side note, is now become a Hollywood actor. Uh, Good for him. Yes, um, I don't know, have you seen the Sherlock Holmes film with Robert Downey Jr.? I have not. I'm just having a quick look. Uh, I've just brought up his, um, his uh, uh, filmography. I'm just having a look to see if there's anything he's in yeah. that I've seen, and it does not look like it. Well, but yeah, I'm looking. I'm at least seeing some like big name films there, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, not for me. It's like it's like some like random henchmen and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, but that's the one I remember because it's in that. Um, number thirteen is Mark Mello. Uh Number fourteen is the world dangerous man Ken Shamrock, who helps a little bit cooking. I think like five people kind of teamed up and got rid of him. Uh, and ironically, later eliminated by the man. Who inducted him into the Impact Hall of Fame? Who's that? The Rock. 
Oh, right. <laughs> so I didn't know that at all. Yeah, uh, he asked The Rock on Twitter to, like, hey, I've been inducted into the swing. Do you, would you like to induct me? And The Rock did it. He sent them, like, a like a video thing, like, basically putting over Ken Shamrock. Was that, was that Bound for Glory this year? Yep. Oh, right, because I knew, I had heard that what did, like, make a video, but I'm not seeing it. So I didn't realise that was why he was doing it. Uh, that's why it was. He was uh, basically he was inducting uh, Ken Shamrock into their Hall of Fame. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, well, new today. Um, <laughs> yeah. So number fifteen is Flasher. Um, hmm. Number sixteen is uh, not uh, Tal Jack. It's Mankind, who yeah. <laughs> then obviously helps out. Um, Number 17 is the artist formerly known as Goldust. So he's wearing like this red face paint, and I think he's wearing like silver things. I think it's like a play on the whole Prince thing. Yeah. Uh, Bit worn now because I think the face, the face paint is kind of what he's wearing now when he's in AEW. Uh, Yeah. Which is uh, quite interesting. Um, We now get to number 18, which is Jeff Jarrett. At this time, by the way, he is the NWA North American Champion. Um, Owen Hart manages to recover and the beast of Jammer eliminates him. Um, number 19 is the Honky Tonk Man, who's... I don't know, I've heard not great rumours about him backstage. Uh, hmm. I heard he's not, not probably one of the biggest dicks of wrestling. Um, and obviously because he's related to the King, King is obviously like, you know, being biased and like, you know, picking them up. Um, along with it, injured Triple H in China. I have no idea why they come down at the same time. Um, what, uh, the what now eliminates Shamrock, uh, Triple H in China um, helped to eliminate Owen Hart and uh, kind of make it worse by being over crutches. And I forgot at the time, this was when they were having the rivalry and I think over the European Championship at this time. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, the time when I came back in uh, to the WWF was, I believe it was D'Lo was the European champ. Yeah, I think I... I think shortly before he became like the Eurocontinental champ. Yeah, he was the first one to do it. I didn't realise that until Angle did it two years after that and they mentioned it all. No, 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 D'Lo did it beforehand. I was like, oh, actually. Because uh, I started joining um, about a month ago. Won't mind about Survivor Series in '98. Uh, so they get right, okay. Um, so number twenty is Armad Johnson, and I remember they used to push him a lot. Um, in Sand Ripper. Yeah, the '95 and '96, um, and it just didn't work out for him, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's weird because like if you watch his early appearances, like you know '96, '97, that dude was over. You know, yeah. like he was really popular. And for whatever reason, it just kind of fizzled out, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, I always liked him. Uh, the, the, the sand ripper thing is, I don't know if you've seen, there's a couple of videos online. Uh, they're easy to find. If you just search on YouTube, Fun with Ahmed. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember the, it would have been, in fact, it would have been the next WWF game to come out after when we're talking about yeah. uh, Warzone. For the PlayStation and N sixty four. So like in if you did the career mode, once you'd won the title, 
you would get like wrestlers who you've beaten previously coming back for a rematch. Yeah. But it would play like a video of them like cutting a promo on you. And the Ahmed Johnson ones are borderline incomprehensible. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm gonna see you in a ring and like <laughs> the person fun with Ahmed they've just like subtitled it with what it sounds like he's saying. Yeah. And it's full of phrases like, you know, the sand ripper uh, step up to punchy and uh, eat eat a reef. Uh, so, hi. Like, whenever anyone mentions Ahmed Johnson, that's always what I think about. <laughs> Just him shouting. It, it doesn't even sound like words half the time, to be honest. I look forward to that. Uh, I'll watch that later. Um, so now we get to number 21, which is a uh, very young Mark Henry. Uh, I think he's only been in WWE like a, a year at this point. Um, number 22 is a guy called... Well, it's supposed to be a guy called Skull, who is the other Harris twin. Um, but unfortunately, um, Los Barricos obviously can't tell the difference between two bold men and thought he was still close to Boston and beat the fuck out of him. So, he is unable to compete. Uh, well, that's a fortunate thing. I mean, like, the Harris brothers are fucking Nazis, so... Yeah. Fuck them. That's good. Um, number 23 is Con Mustafa, i.e. the pre-Godfather. Um, yep. Number the man of a million gimmicks. Yes. Um, oh, no, no, no. No, no, Brutus the Bob Briefcake can beat that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's the man of a million and one gimmicks. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, number 24 is Stone Cold and since Stone Cold is probably an enemy number one in the WWE at the minute everyone stops what they're doing and look at the entrance way um, Steve Austin is not an idiot so he comes in through the crowd and starts like beating them all up he eliminates Mark Merrow and eliminates 8 Ball before Henry Goodwin comes in at number 25 uh, number 26 is Savio Vega who comes out with Los Barrios and 27 is Farouk. Um, at this point, Austin and The Rock, um, they're going on the outside of the ring, but haven't limited each other, but keep that in mind, and uh, start fighting on the outside. Um, at some point, Mankind managed to get eliminated uh, by, not Goldust, uh, I'm not gonna go through his like, long name, um, but luckily, Mick Foley had the third gimmick, which is Dude Love who comes yeah. in at number 28. Uh, I, I, on a side note, I can't wait to go through his rivalry with Stone Cold because I think it's brilliant. Um, just jumping ahead there. Um, number 29 is Chains, who is Brian Harris. Um, no, Brian Adam. Oh, Crush. Brian, I'm sorry. Um, uh, I, I, I always loved Crush. Like, yeah. Like, because I think it stemmed from, like, me being a demolition mark, yeah, and then he became obviously going to crush, and then it, but then he started feuding with Macho Man, and Macho was my favorite back then, so yeah, and he um, did all that. Um, yeah, another guy with a ton of gimmicks, yes, he did because he started as the fake Undertaker in '94. Uh, oh, that was Brian Lee, yeah, that's what I mean. uh, from... Change is Brian Lee, no, oh god, no, what was Crush again? Was he just Crush though? Yes, but I think he was in WCW at that point. 
I can't remember. So. Oh right, aye, because he yeah. got done for steroids or something, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and also the fact that Brian Lee is still alive. Um, yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, no, so because because um, I've got my Wikipedia page on and I've got changed and you know sometimes you can highlight the, the name and mm. do like a little preview. And, yeah, 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 yeah. It comes up with Brian House, man. Oh, that's his name. Um, yeah. Number thirty is Vader, who I I know he passed away a couple of years ago, but I think was never given a fair shake at WWE. So, oh God, no. Um, was we were a few months from I think it was that King of the Wingish that this year, '98 when he says it's a big piece of shit. I'm like, okay. So um, like, I remember saying to a friend of mine, and it, oh, like, I've said on here before that I was a WCW guy. Whereas my uh, this friend of mine was very much a WWF guy, and he didn't realise until like years and years later how good Vader actually was. Because yeah. I was like, trust me, if you've not, because he hadn't seen much like the early nineties WCW stuff for like Vader in Japan or anything. I was like, trust me, you know, go and watch it because he's one of those guys where, like you said, if you only knew him from the WWF, you'd don't really get how fucking good he was, how intimidating he was. Yeah. Same with uh, Doctor Destiny Williams, actually. Yeah. That's true. I mean, um, I think that's one of the things WWE don't find a way is that when they come from another company before, like before them going to WWE for the first time, don't really get a fair shake. Yeah, um, I mean, they've kind of lessened that in recent years, but then again, there's not really a company. At their level, yeah, and I think I mean, WCW were kind of direct rivals. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the only main one probably it was ex, you know, WCW first before WWE was probably Benoit and Jericho. They're probably the two biggest ones for me. Um, oh, and Austin. <laughs> oh yeah, because he was Austin before. Yeah, he was, he was like he was like mid. He was like very mid card, but. Yeah, it's really good. I liked him in WCW. I've never seen him in WCW, so I'll... uh... I got exposed to those videos quite young. Yeah. And it was him and later on Brian Pillman uh, as the Hollywood Blondes, and they were fantastic together. Yeah. And then you go on, obviously went on to ECW, and it's funny, because I don't know if you've seen his ECW stuff. No, uh, but I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he only had, like, I think one or two matches, and the rest of it was just, like, promos and stuff. Yeah. But in those promos, you can absolutely see, like, the roots of the Stone Cold character coming out. Yeah. It's this kind of weird sort of halfway mark where he's like, you know, you know, Bischoff didn't give me a chance kind of thing. And yeah. he's like, now I'm here, and I'm going to be the superstar that I always knew I could be. And nobody can stop making a thing. And the, just things like his delivery, you can see, like, it's obviously not exactly the same, but you can see a lot of what became the Stone Cold character in it. Yeah. It's very good. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it's on YouTube. If anyone listening hasn't seen Steve Austin's ECW promos, I can't recommend going and checking them out highly enough. So, with Vader, he eliminates Donkey Kong Man. Um, Austin uh, eliminates Thrasher. Then Cameron Mustafa and Asabi Vega. Goldust eliminates Vader. Uh, Henry Gosling tries to go for good love, but misses Luna himself. 
Chase Lemire's Gold Dust, and um, then Austin eliminates him, and then Fuchs eliminates Mark Henry. So the final four would be end up being Dude Love, uh, Steve Austin, Farouk, and The Rock. Um, Farouk eliminates Dude Love, and The Rock eliminates Farouk. And then after like a mini match at this point, because it's like the final two to kind of have like a little bit more of a match uh, style. Um, Austin hits The Rock with the stunner, um, but luckily Rock uh, manages like you know stand up from the stunner. And, hmm. um, and Austin eliminates him to win the match and become the number one contender to the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 14. Um, yeah. And it's one of those as well where, like, you know, you look at how big those two became and the fact that they were the last two. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you see that quite often, like someone who makes the last four might maybe a couple of years later go on to do bigger. Like, I'm sure they did it with, uh, uh, what do you call him? Oh, shit, what's his name? And, or at least you can see the ones where maybe they've got plans for them or whatever. And, yeah. uh, I mean, Mustafa Ali, I think last year was one of the last four. Or yeah, was it the year before? Yeah. I think it was uh, last year because I remember one, and also he was supposed to be in the money bank that year. And mm-hmm. some, some I can't remember how he ended up not being in it, but that was the one where Brock literally turns up for the last minute, the whole pay-per-view and wins the whole thing. Um, which obviously pissed a lot of people off. Oh, uh, no, uh, Ali was the guy on the ladder when Brock came oh, out. Oh, well, that was it. Cause, yeah, because I think there was supposed to be one person who was supposed to... I think there, weren't, I think there was supposed to be one person, but no one knew who it was until like Brock just turned up. Uh, yeah, because I think Ali was about to win it, wasn't he? And then they were like, yay, and then no. Um, oh, it's a shame. I'll, I I do very much like Mustafa Ali. Oh, I think I he's fantastic. I do as well. I mean, he um, for me, he's he had that time when you had um, him, Cedric Alexander, and Murphy uh, in Two or Five Live, and that was like probably the best bit of Two or Live because they obviously obviously um, Neville's unfortunately casualty of that because he got pissed off. Like being like passed over again and all that stuff, so he left. But they just go with the Enzo Amore and they got a new great Maverick in to become the general manager. And I think that period from like roughly about a year, a year and a bit, was really good. And oh, god, yeah, those two were like the main reasons why, along with Murphy. Um, so oh, yeah, they were tearing the house down every every oh, yeah, damn week. I know, like, I leave that part of this, like, retribution thing, but I'm not really seeing much of that. Um, mm. So, we will see what that goes I on. hope it works out for them, because, yeah. like, I've heard that they've not been exactly winning a lot. Yeah. But I do hope I do hope it works out for them, because there's very few people who deserve it more, I think. Yeah. It's a shame, because they've got, like, some... I don't know all that, but they've got, like, uh, Mia Yim and... Dominic Akafovic in the group, and I'm a big fan of those two. So, uh, mm. but hopefully it will work out for them. Um, so, what did you think of the of the match? The rumble, it, it was good. Like, it's. I mean, this was round about the time when they would actually, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, like I guess like pre-build a story in here. Yeah. Because yeah. for many years it was just like. Here's thirty guys. Who's going to win? Can I? Yeah. And that was it. Whereas that was about the time that they started. Okay, 
Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the thing the following year was like Austin and uh, Vince. Yeah. And I guess I guess it was going to happen sooner or later because of the like the prize by this point. The prize being you know, obviously the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. Whereas you know someone and all due respect to him and everything, but someone like you know Big John Studd isn't going to you know main event WrestleMania. Yeah. Or at least. I mean, he might have done it in the early days, I don't know, but after it started becoming this big thing, maybe not. So, yeah, uh, it was one of the ones I felt worked. Yeah. Like, you compare it to this year, where it was like Brock just sandwiching everyone. And it's like, one of, that was one of those, I get it, I get why they did it, because obviously the pop when Drew hoofed him out was like nuts. But it was still kind of turgid to watch. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the Austin one, you know, yeah, it's it's almost like the flip side of the coin, where like everyone's out to get him, but the crowd are behind them, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, um, I think I think like the crowd for anyone. I think I remember correctly. I think the reason Brock entered was so if he win, he won have to defend the championship at WrestleMania. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But like with that, I mean, the first few won one were just for hell of it, you know. Hogan was the champion at that time, but he won a couple of rumbles. Natitude when uh, the Anakin in the bubble with Ric Flair on the taker, and Hogan won the championship, so it got vacated. And obviously, Ric Flair won it to become the champion. And the year after that was when they started having it for the number one contender at WrestleMania. That's how Yoda Yuna won. Yeah, I mean, I've started, I like, I think the last couple of years, they've done a really good job with it, like, in terms of, you know, the whole... Because it's kind of hard to keep that whole anyone-can-win feel when you know there's only a select few people that they're realistically going to let main event WrestleMania. Yes. But I think the last couple of years, at least, they've done... I think they've done a fine job of still managing to get that yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so we'll just briefly go to the, the night after. Um, it is explained that the reason why Tyson's there is that he will be the main, the special guest referee at WrestleMania 14. Um, Vince McMahon introduces him as the baddest man on the planet. Uh, let's put out this time. Uh, Mike Tyson was banned from boxing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that was when he uh, Holyfield's year uh, after, yeah, right? I think it was like, yeah, it was like the year before he did that, the year, or I think 1997 he did that, and then, um, because the main, like, because in, in the state, boxing is, is their license is done by state, not like nationwide, and I think, obviously, right. he was obviously in Nevada, and Nevada was like, uh, walk off, so, uh, so he pretty much couldn't box for a while, because I think just after WrestleMania 14 was when he did a couple of boxing matches in the UK, so I think he did one in Hampton Park, at one point, ah. um, I can't remember when that. I can remember. I think that thing was in my last couple of years of school, and I left in two thousand. So it's around by that time he did that. Um, so yeah, did that. Uh, I said Bob Vince is just the balance man of the planet. Um, Austin obviously doesn't take, doesn't take that well, um, and they have this big altercation between the two. And I remember like uh, Vince at the end of it, like screaming at Austin, like you ruined it, you ruined it. 
Um, uh, but it's it's thing was changed from special guest referee to special enforcer, uh, which I think will make more sense because not only get Tyson, but because um, he's obviously like very new to the wrestling business, so you want to, yeah. So it, it doesn't really make unless you know someone who's like a big fan of wrestling. Um, like for example, um, don't know if I can think of offhand because she, you know, Maria Menounos. Uh, mm. No, someone like her, because she's, she's been she's been in wrestling, she like knows the business in a way. So having her like do it would make sense because she knows what she's doing, but probably not Mike Tyson. Um, so he got changed to be the special enforcer, um, and then quite soon after that, he, um, I'm not sure when exactly this happens. Uh, we'll find out in the next episode. Uh, but you line yourself with DX. So I think they're kind of building so like odds against Steve Austin thing at this time. Hmm. I mean, yeah, because again, this is. I think. Well, was it really Vince Austin was feuding with at this point? Because I know there was also this stuff with. Like, I mean, fully. Like, because I know there was also the bits with, like. Uh, what do you call him? Uh, what's his name? Slaughter. Yeah. Who was, I believe, the commissioner? Yeah, it was. Um, I think um, at this time it wasn't. It was kind of the kind of just laying the foundations of it, mm-hmm. uh, but it didn't really obviously come to prominence until after WrestleMania, um, because that was when like Vince was like going, I thought it was this motherfucker champion and starts like, <laughs> like uh, building the rivalry, stacking the deck against, against him and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think I think but I think this is like one of the reasons why not against Kayfabe, why why Vince stopped was starting to get pissed off of Austin. He probably might have tolerated him at that point, but it's obviously he fucked up this like big event that would have been covered by the obviously mainstream media because who Mike Tyson is. So like yeah. storyline like like Austin comes in and like does all that shit and he's like, No, what are you doing? Um So it's interesting <laughs> because um I'm not actually had to start watching the wars yet, I've got to start watching the wars, you know, on the build up to the you know, while I'm doing this series with you. Um, yeah. I've not had a chance to like really look to see, you know, what was like the turning? What was like the spark that Vince goes? You know what? Fuck that guy. Um, but I can't remember. It was after WrestleMania. No jumping ahead here. I think the day after WrestleMania. I know Austin does stun, stun Vince, but I can't remember if he does it before or after WrestleMania. Or he might do it both times actually. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because one, one thing good about the stun is like one does moves you can kind of do as a surprise. Um, yeah. And anyone can take it apart from apparently Donald Trump and Linda McMahon. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely. Um, obviously, we all agree that the walk is the best way of sending it. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous, but it's, it's good. Um, I think I think probably my personal favourite is actually Scott Hall. Is that the one? Oh, is that one? He does that at WrestleMania, doesn't it? But I can't remember how he's uh, it. Well, just like a classic, like, like that Scott Hall, almost like, almost borderline slapstick, to be honest. Yeah. You just oh, kind of boom. Like <laughs> yeah. But then I always liked Scott Hall, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's such a, yeah, he's really good. He was really good wrestler, so obviously it's, alcoholism and also like really bad, you know, badly affected his career. Um, mm. So I think at this time, 
at the time of uh, the of the Royal Rumble, he was in WCW. They just been about two three weeks away from Starcade '97, which was supposed to be like the end of the NWO, and then due to creative control and all that shit, that doesn't happen. Morgan, uh, that's um, very uh, weird one. Uh, but we talked about, we talked about last time because our friend Bret Hart just appeared out of nowhere in the match. Um, so yeah, I like. I just thought there about like Scott Hall as well. Uh, he was like uh, in his prime. He was he was fantastic. Yes. And he was one of those guys that never quite won the big one. And I remember it was a quote from him that always made me laugh, just because of how it's not the kind of thing you would ordinarily expect to hear a wrestler say in response to something like that. But it was like you know. Yeah, someone said that to him, like, you know, you know, you were one of the sort of big names back then, but never quite won the big one. Yeah. He was like, yeah, basically I never really pushed for it because I wasn't a big mark for myself. Yeah. <laughs> that, that just really made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, it's, you got to be really careful because you got wrestlers who obviously want to be really tough, but you got to be, I think you have to be an asshole to get there, but you can't mm. go like... It's a, bit, it's a bit like that proper thunder thing where you know where uh, Robert Downey goes where you can't could ever go full retard but like, mm. you can't go full arsehole because obviously you're going to piss a lot of people off uh, like the um I don't know like I mean there are exceptions obviously you know uh, look, look at Daniel Bryan as far as I'm aware he never like pissed anyone off on his way up no, uh and he's got a reputation as just being a genuinely nice guy. Yeah. Uh, so there are obviously exceptions, but yeah. You know. I think I think with him it's slightly different because he had ever conceded talent, but it took it took other people to go to WWE. Go, this guy is a world champion. Like mm-hmm. I know CM Punk was a big advocate for him, and for a few others as well. It's like you know, I believe Regal guy. was. Yeah. So uh, you know, push this push this guy like. Um, so let's briefly talk into the present day. Um, I know we were discussing before we were started going that we're not really been watching much of the current product because I'm massive behind and other things. Uh, but it's Survivor Series next week. Um, I'm recording this, and it's well, obviously it's. Um, I don't know if you watching recently Survivor Series, but doing this whole like war against SmackDown thing, even though the policy company so it doesn't really make much of them. Oh, they're doing that again. The the one night that the Raw and SmackDown go head to head, kind of thing. Apart from you know all the other nights. Yes, um, and obviously <laughs> uh, last year was an NXT got involved. Don't see we doing that this year, uh, which is weird because NXT like won the show effectively. Um, but uh, but it's also a big event because they're going to celebrate 30 years of Undertaker because he's made he made his debut at the Survivor Series 1990. Um, yeah. So I thought just before we end, we talk about um, obviously we're going to talk about Undertaker a lot uh, over this time, especially near the end of it because he was champion uh, around about like mid mid to May to July '99. Um, mm-hmm. So, what are your like big memories of favorite or favorite memories of Undertaker? Well, I mean, I, I I may have said this on stream before, I can't uh, on the podcast before, I can't remember, but. The Undertaker was literally in the very first match I ever saw. Uh, 
the first match I ever saw was him against Snuka WrestleMania Seven, which, right. as it would turn out, you know, started the streak. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I was Undertaker was never like my favourite or anything, but I always kind of liked him when I was younger. Yeah, uh, you know, especially you know like the big, you know the the, you know, the slow talking actual zombie kind of guy. Uh, I liked um, like it's silly looking back at it now, obviously, but you know uh, the '94 Rumble when he like his like spirit elevates out of the casket and stuff like that. Yeah. And nowadays, I look back on it, I guess like fondly, but for different reasons. Like, yeah, it's corny and that, but I like corny. You know, uh, probably. My favourite matches of his, I mean, obviously everyone, as every, almost everyone I imagine would say, uh, the one with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania at 25. Yeah. Because that was just an absolute blinder. I would say, arguably, Undertaker's best ever match. And, but one of my personal favourites, and it's not exactly from a period that's renowned as being him at his best but uh, it was when he was the American badass and he wrestled Triple H at Wrestlemania 17 and just absolutely battered him stupid for like 20 minutes or whatever it was like it was so one sided but I didn't care it was cool this big huge guy battering Triple H I loved it um, yeah those um I would say those. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones offhand. One, I don't know if you'd call it an Undertaker one, but again, it goes back to the, you know, the the, the original days of the gimmick. Yeah. Uh, older viewers, uh, sorry, older listeners, might remember uh, back in the, the Silver Vision video days when they would put extras on the videos. Yeah. Usually on the compilation ones, and there was one. It had. It was supposed to be like at home with Paul Bearer. I can't remember what video it was, but it was like at home with Paul Bearer, and it's like depicting Paul Bearer living living in a literal funeral parlor, and it's just that. Let, let's be, let's call it what it is: absolute cheesiness. Yeah. And to go from that to being considered like the or one of the biggest names over like the past 30 years yeah. is I mean it goes to show you you know sometimes a wrestler will come into a WWF or any other company and they'll maybe get given a gimmick that's a bit silly <laughs> and people will go oh it's going to ruin them didn't they ruin The Undertaker but then again he was you know, from day one, booked as like badass, so maybe that helped. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, I think for me, it's um, I think same as you. It's like he wasn't the favourite, but he was always like there. He's always like this was that would be memorable. Um, mm. As you got to actually see him live about five years ago when WWE was in Manchester. All right. Mm. So I went with my ex girlfriend, and she had never been to Western before. Um, the show wasn't great. It's uh, 
it was the first time I saw Finn Balor, but I I hadn't started watching NXT weather at this point. So right. Got, so he was like in the first, because the way they do it is that they have a dark match, then they will record, um, at that time they will record main event. Mm-hmm. And then I would do another dark match and then just go, oh, just go straight into SmackDown. So, but the first match of dark match, I, I can't remember who he faced, but obviously it was Finn Balor came out. And everyone's doing like, you know, the, the, the movie does do his entrance. I'm like, okay, this guy's a big deal. Because <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, I think soon after that, the BBC show, the documentary on iPlayer, which was just last year in Japan before we went to WWE. Um, so there was that, and then, um, but this point was when um, there was like, there was like a segment which was obviously just for the fans. In the mm. And Ray Ballett actually calls out the Undertaker. And uh, Undertaker comes out, uh, just stands there, just does the tombstone leaves. <laughs> it was like, no, it wasn't in the match. Um, but I think the biggest point was after that because it was when Undertaker and Kane were having this rivalry for Survivor Series and they were teamed up together and the whole of it done the show they were like go go but look it's Undertaker it's Undertaker and Brain's going we know he's here because we've <laughs> seen him um, but at the very end it wasn't he didn't turn up he does you know the whole theatrics and you hear his voice I'll go out for the arena so it's a bit disappointing like why travel to the UK to do that but uh, we could have like just done that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at a college student in the United States. Um, but for me, my, my first match was to WrestleMania after yours was WrestleMania eight. Hmm. Uh, when it faces Jake the State, because uh, I always have a fond heart, fond spot in my heart for WrestleMania eight because it's the first, like the first wrestling show I watch. It's got some tremendous matches in it, like uh, Piper, Brett, and uh, Flair Savage. Um, shitty main event, which I would love to do at one point. Um, but I would like this match because it's not so much the technical ability, but it's one of the first time where the story's really good in it. Mm. Um, the story was that, like, you know, obviously Jake, Jake and Undertaker were like allies, and then obviously, even though it's been difficult at the time, but obviously Undertaker becomes a face. Um, I had to wipe with Jake Snake. And at this point, Jake the Snake has never lost when he hits DDT. But both, yeah. But he hits the DDT and then, but doesn't penetrate away. Kind of goes. He kind of, he kind of goes. Yeah, I've won this, so he kind of takes his time. And until he comes up, and then he does it again like two minutes later. And instead of going, oh, hang on, I've hit the DDT before. I better pin him. He doesn't do that. He goes with the poor Baron's dad. <laughs> I remember, like, when I first watched it, we really enjoyed it. But I obviously because. As you know, I started my podcast doing dumb tickets matches for the streak. Mm. And I remember watching it to analyze, and, and my notes were about Jake going, What the fuck are you doing? You should be pinning Undertaker. Um, my theory, like my, the only logic I can see in it is maybe like he's sussed that like it's Paul Bearer's arm that's controlling him and yeah. allowing him to pop back up or something like that. It's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got the first time because he'd never lost it before, so you think, well, I've done DT, I've won this kind of thing. But the second time, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm quite. It'd be interesting to see, obviously, it's, there were no fans there doing the Thunderdome thing, which people don't know. They've done like streams around the Wonder Wind, the Wind in Orlando, and um, I've got like streams there. 
so we're interested to see how they're going to celebrate that. Um, I don't think it'd be Wesley because he has technically announced his retirement, but you know, Wes has never really retired. Yeah. Um, well, look at how many times Terry Funk tired, retired, for goodness sake. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the only person who knows, like, probably retired for a lot of time for Ric Flair, because I know he retired in 2008 WWE, but did matches after that in TNA. But since he's come back to WWE, he's not, like, done anything physical, but he's, like, 71, I think. So, I just had a thought, actually. Like, uh, and again, it's a wee bit of yeah, a tangent here, but I've actually thought of a dumber decision made by a wrestler during a match. And it was around about the same time, you know, well, a few years anyway. And it was SummerSlam 1990, the Hart Foundation versus Demolition. Right. And um, this was when, like, Crush had really started being, well, uh, the regular team had started being Smash and Crush because yeah. I think Axe was, like, sort of on the outs physically. Yeah. And uh, two out of three falls. Demolition won the first fall. And then the second fall, like, and obviously, uh, as many people will know, like, the Hart Foundation won the match. So, the second fall is crucial, right? It keeps them alive in the match. And I I may have been the heart attack, I can't remember, but Hart Foundation hit a move. They go for the cover on Smash. Now, most tag team partners would jump in and break up the count, right? Yes. Crush gets into the ring, lifts up the referee in a gut wrench, carries him halfway across the ring, and drops him. That's disqualification. Gets the team disqualified. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that, that's just like. I guess that, I mean. I think. I think one thing that we're wrestling, because if you've gone off like over 100 years. And obviously you've got to repeat a lot of the same stuff. And yeah. Then, and so I get sometimes like going, oh, try to do like a, like an original end, like something a bit different. Uh, but do something like But there's all times where they do that, he's like, you're being an idiot, why would you do that? Because um, I think one of the cleverest things I saw, a camera who was involved, but it, was a, it was a TNA match, a pay-per-view, mm. and Eris Bishop, it was when Eris Bishop was there. I can't remember the rest of the who were taking part, but obviously Bishop's like supporting one of them. And mm. this guy hits his finisher, and the referee starts counting one, two, and then in between one or two, uh, Bishop slaps the mat. So, right. so the guy pinning thing, because he's not looking at the referee, he's, he's hearing the hearing the pad, you know, the uh, slaps. Mm. He hears the first slap and stands up thinking he's one, and the referee's going, no, I've, it's two, what are you doing? And uh, <laughs> from that, you know, the guy goes on to win, and you know, obviously he recovers from being hit and like beats him. But I thought that was quite a clever way to like stop a count for like, like kind of tricking the wrestler. I thought it was really one clever. thing, one thing I've always wanted to see booked, uh, and it would need to happen on the Indies because it doesn't. It's based on a thing that uh, I don't think really happens in like WWE or. Uh, AEW or anywhere like that. You know that thing that some independent companies in England have, where the wrestlers will be at the ring and the referee will administer the count, right? Yeah. Be like one, and the the fans will immediately go two, yeah. and like they'll always count ahead immediately. Yes. To try and like throw the referee off. What I want to happen is I want 
a company to book a finish where someone actually loses by count out because the crowd are able to successfully throw off the referee. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned it. Uh, and, oh, as far as long as we're talking about like current wrestling, uh, you mentioned Impact there, and I'd like to give them a shout out because I think for the most part they've actually been pretty good recently. Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, I've not seen it in a couple of weeks, but um, I have, like I would watch quite often, and I for the most part I've been enjoying it. Um, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw like the Wrestle House series that they did. Right. Um, so I know that obviously um, I know I've watched bits where uh, I know Diana Prosso's there now. I think she's the women's champion. She is. Uh, she's Blanchard. been doing fantastic. Yeah, I know Tessa Blanchard became the men's champion the year before that. Um, I saw bits where um, but yeah, Drado and Joe Henry there. Who, um, mm-hmm. Of course, Joe's in uh, Ring of Honor now. Is he? Oh, yeah, I'm not the I'm not a big fan of Drado, but I do like Joe Henry. Um, Obviously, he did it a little bit in Impact, where he was like, he was singing like songs like mm. out than his opponents because I know he did a lot in ICW. Yeah, he, he's always been fantastic at that. Yeah, um, and things like that. So, but I've heard it's pretty good. I know they've probably got the best women's roster out of out of the three. Oh God, yeah, um, uh, and not just that, but using them because like AEW, like on paper have a fantastic women's division but they don't really seem to give them a lot of time yeah, which is a shame yeah it's weird because um, I mean I like I like Akari Shida uh, like, like Nala, uh, Nala Rose I think the matches he Nala Rose had with Riho was literally like a third of the size of Nala Rose really good because um, it reminds me like the whole like um, like it reminds me a little bit of the whole X-Pac Kane thing when they were fighting each other um, mm-hmm. obviously Kane's like, like massive um but it's not, uh, from what I've seen in Diamond Realm, if I could have been higher than that, um, they don't, they use a code they brought in Thunder Rosa from NWA, uh, mm. to wrestle a few matches, so, but they've got, like, great views, they've got Anna Jay, who's, um, who I'm, I'm started to enjoy, but she's, uh, like, joining, like, she's now a heel and joined the Dark Order and all that stuff, so, and, and WWE is great to see to do this. They seem to do like cycles. If you're not mm. a main event, do cycle with the focus of like one championship, but then kind of like forget about it when they focus on something else. So, I do strongly recommend if you do watch any sort of recent impact to go and watch the Wrestle House stuff. Yeah. It was basically their attempt to, because obviously they're another company that aren't having uh, crowds in at the moment. Yeah. So I think it was just like their attempt to try and do something a little bit different yeah. to, you know, uh, break the monotony of like having matches in front of no audience. Yeah. So it was basically like it was basically like a full reality TV show kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, hosted by Tommy Dreamer. Okay. And it was it was a uh, John E Bravo who was a referee slash manager there. Uh, Rosemary, Taya Valkyrie, Kylie Ray, who's obviously recently uh, sadly retired, yeah. uh, Sue Young, uh, the Deaners, AC Romero and Larry D, Alicia Edwards, Crazy Steve, and Johnny Swinger. Yeah. 
And I don't know if you've seen anything of Johnny Swinger in TNA. Because like, a lot of people went, why are they signing Johnny Swinger? Uh, anyone who doesn't know Johnny, by the way, he's an old ECW name. Uh, why are they signing him? He's past it. But they've played up to that. Yeah. Like his whole thing is like he's this like kind of guy stuck in the past kind of thing. Like li- trying to relive his like former glories or whatever. And he's do- he's doing a really good job of it, so yeah, they turned it into this like reality TV thing, and uh, like whenever they have a disagreement, like there's a re- there's like a wrestling ring out in the garden that they have to go and settle their differences in and stuff. Uh, it was like, like it was all played for laughs, yeah. but it, they did a everyone involved did a bang up job of it. Uh, like Tommy Dreamer as the host was fantastic as well. Like there was a bit, like uh, people arguing about something that should be done in the house, and uh, like someone was like, "You want me to do it? No way, Jose!" And Tommy, you see Tommy Dreamer like poking his head out from behind like the crowd of people. Like, no, uh, we weren't able to sign him, and just disappears again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they've done it. The whole thing is like. Because Rosemary's like they've kind of adopted that almost like Lucha Underground esque like cinematic style yeah. for like their backstage stuff and everything, and the whole thing is like Rosemary being a demon. Uh, the whole thing was she was trying to get Johnny Bravo's soul, yeah. which means which would mean like killing him or whatever, right? But it ends up like to try and like get him on side with her. She ended up like marrying him in the ring. Okay. And, and like they've got, and this is on a Halloween show as well. So you've got like Falaba dressed up as the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man and stuff. Uh, um, Tommy Dreamer's there in the tuxedo with like a uh, Road Warrior animal face paint on. Yeah. And you know, you know, they're about to, you know, I now pronounce you, and like the lights go out and you hear a gunshot. And the lights come back on, and Johnny Bravo's like literally lying like dead in the ring, <laughs> and and like, Tommy Dreamer like they're all like kind of you know what the fuck kind of thing, and Tommy Dreamer you know like goes down to him and he's he looks up, he's like, who shot Bravo? And the last shot you get on the show is like the camera like sort of panning out from the ring with Tommy Dreamer doing the no. It's, it's so you've basically got a mix of like good matches with like absolutely batshit stuff like that, and I've really been enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that WWE, I fancy WWE doing. Because, um, hmm. uh, I mean, there'll be a few times where they've done something a bit like different. I mean, I remember a few years ago they had um, Clip Beretta, like, had not been wrestling for months. So this is a promo mm. where they're like a where's Trent, where's Trent, and then literally cuts this guy open the door to like a broom cupboard <laughs> and, and go to, hey Trent, uh, do you want to wrestle a superstar next week? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then uh, like, Trent Puerto returns next week. So, um. Oh, see, I love stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, so it's sort of different. I mean, I know AEW kind of do that a little bit, um, mm. especially with um, Orin Cassidy, because Orin Cassidy shouldn't work. It does. Yeah. Um, I mean, his match with uh, I think it was last year 
uh, the match he had with Pac was fantastic. Yeah, I heard it was really good. Uh... Also, if anyone really wants a laugh uh, with Orange Cassidy matches, if anyone out listening out there has an IWTV subscription, and I'm sure you can get like free trials. A lot of wrestlers who are heavily featured on there, like Warhorse and Danhausen, or a lot of the companies that are on there. Uh, quite frequently put out like codes so you can get like a free week or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a match I can't remember what company it's for, but it's one of like the way the website is. If you type in like you know so and so versus so and so, you'll get the match yeah. or the show with the match anyway. And there's a good variety of stuff on there, but there's a match, and it's Orange Cassidy versus Robert Evans. Now. The name Robert Evans might not mean a lot to some people. Uh, he actually used to work backstage for WWE for a wee while. Uh, but he's best known, I would say, probably if, uh, he was in Chikara under the name Archibald Peck. And he's also like a very, very funny guy. And him playing like the sort of indignant role to Orange Cassidy's bullshit was just a sight to behold. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, I think I think we want to actually also recommend um, his his match against Gentleman Jarvis. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, I, I have. That was a uh, wrestle circus, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I can't remember. I don't remember where I think he accidentally sends Owen Cassidy to sleep. Yes. So, <laughs> which is really good. Um, so, um, Adam, where can we find an internet? Uh, you can find me, I uh, do the wrestling without context thing. It's a bit intermittent right now because, as, as I said, I've not been watching a huge amount recently. Uh, so it is kind of intermittent, but uh, rest no context on Twitter. My main one is just under the name Ginger Pimpernel. You can find me under that name on like Twitter, uh, Twitch, where I do, I do quite often like wrestling game streams. Um... Most of the time, it's with just, you know, dumb shit characters, like, created by myself and friends. Like, for example, we've got a high flyer in a monkey mask who's literally called Spot Monkey. Yeah. You know, stupid stuff like that. Uh, but as well as that, I, I've recently restarted a series I was doing where I would have wrestlers on to guest book shows. Uh, it was something I started in lockdown just to, you know, try and relieve the boredom a bit. You know, while everyone's shut inside, uh, I would have wrestlers on to guest book a show on the game, see who they were really saying, what matches they put together and stuff. Uh, I, I gave it a rest when the whole speaking out thing happened in the summer, because it, it didn't feel right. And as uh, alluded to previously, uh, there was fr- I've got a couple of friends within wrestling who were sort of heavily impacted by some of the stuff that came out in that. And it was more important to me to be trying to be supportive of them. Uh, but I've recently restarted it again. Uh, I've only done one so far. It'll be a bit less frequent now because of, you know, like obviously uh, not everywhere's in lockdown anymore. So and a lot of independent wrestlers have real jobs uh, that they have to work and some wrestling shows are starting up again. So it's going to be more a case of, well, do it just whenever we're able to get someone. Uh, the only one we've done on the new run so far is with a 
lovely young wrestler from England called Mariah May. Uh, and as with before, every time we'll be doing it for like a charity or cause of the guest's choice. Uh, we did it with hers uh, to help with her legal funds. She was one of the wrestlers who had their, who told their own story during speaking out and as with some people, you know, their abusers tried to bully them into silence by taking them to court. And she's one of the ones who hasn't backed down. And even though she's got the truth on her side, obviously, you know, she still needs to be able to fund the legal battle, which is not exactly cheap. So we helped out with that. Uh, I've got a few people who have agreed to take part in future ones as well. Uh, so hopefully soon we're going to have Dan Barry from Team Tremendous on. Uh, we're going to have Alexis Falcon, who's another very talented young wrestler from England. Uh, we're going to get Andrew Everett back and some other people. Uh, again, just a case of when we can get them. So uh, check that out. It'll be twitch.tv slash gingerpimpernol. I'll do all the announcements of, hey, I managed to get this person. Uh, on Twitter first, obviously. So just keep an eye there, uh, and any updates that happen with them, you'll get them there. Um, as for me, it's uh, I'm on Twitter at Lowdown Wrestling on one word. Um, Lowdownwrestling.blogspot.com is where I do pay per view reviews. At the minute, I am massively behind. Uh, <laughs> just finished doing uh, Payback, which was at the time we put two and a half months ago. Um, just publishes that at the day of recording. Um, also, obviously, soundcloud.com forward slash London Western Podcast for this as well. So, Adam, thank you very much. Um, oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. For the listeners, next, the next part of this series will be the main event of WrestleMania 14, in which uh, Steve Austin will challenge Shawn Michaels for the WWE Championship. So, until then, uh, thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye.